0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. What are you doing here? Have you ever been asked that question? What are you doing here? I find that that question, what are you doing here, or why are you here, is my least favorite question to be asked. It's disorienting. No matter how innocent you and I might be in the situation, it always makes us feel like we're doing something wrong, like we're in the wrong place, that we're doing something that we're not supposed to be doing. And often the follow-up question to this one is, can I see some ID? What are you doing here? May I see some ID? And we're asked this type of thing whenever we take a wrong turn somewhere. Maybe we're in a neighborhood that we've never been in, that we don't belong in. Maybe we've opened a door to a a very important room that we don't belong in. Our presence and our motives are questioned. We must not be there for the right reasons. The only solution to those questions is to have a firm sense of who we are and where we're going. It's to have a solid ID in your pocket to have that thing ready to go and hand it over to the person that's asking you. It's to be oriented towards what is real, what is important in life. We come to the beginning of another church year. This time called Advent. It means coming or arrival. It's this season leading up to Christmas that gives us this occasion in the church year to pause and reflect to reorient our lives around what is real and what is important. Who are we? And what are we doing here? Where are we going? Who is God and what should we expect from him? What did he do for us in Christ? and What does he promise to do for us in the future? It's in the coming of Christ that we have God's answers to these questions. God tells us who we are. He tells us what we need. He tells us who he is and what he came to do. Moreover, he tells us what he comes now to do and what he will do in the future. So as we turn to this new calendar year in the life of the church. We move to a new gospel. You'll notice that the gospel readings going forward throughout the rest of this year are from the gospel of Luke. Last year we did Mark. This year we'll do Luke. You'll notice this. And during this Advent season, we're going to be looking at Luke's Advent themes. We're going to be having sermons from the book of Luke over the next few weeks. And on this this first Sunday of Advent, we read of Jesus' advent into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And if you're sharp, you'll typically associate his coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with Palm Sunday. Or if you have any church background, I should say sharp, but you have church background. It's that week before Easter. And we begin the season, excuse me, the season of Advent with this passage because... It, helps us to keep our perspective on the nature of Jesus' coming. When we get to welcome the Christ child on Christmas, we will remember what that baby came to do. We love to think of how cute and cuddly the baby is in the manger. We get very sentimental about this. But texts like these help us to keep this in perspective. Who is that baby in that manger? What did he come to do? You see, he knows who he is. He knows what he's doing here. And he gives us his ID. So we look at this passage from our Gospel reading. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's this type of Advent. It's this coming. And he's going to come into Jerusalem where he's going to enter into the temple for the final time. What is so special about this event? What's important about it? What exactly is he doing here? And may we see some ID. See, the political climate into which Jesus was born and the one in which he grew up is very fascinating. Jerusalem was not free. It was not free. They were under Roman occupation since 63 B.C., They were under the thumb of what was at that time the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. They managed to get along okay. They did their best, but the empire was often very overbearing. Let me give you an example. Right next to the temple, Herod had constructed what was called the Antonia Fortress. It was this military garrison so that the Roman soldiers and troops could stay there and they could keep their eyes on the goings-on of the temple. Think about it this way. If you can imagine this, that would be like if we had a police station built right there in the parking lot, so that they could keep us in line. That's what that would be like. As we went to and from worship, you've got some cops out there stopping you saying, Hey, can I can I see somebody? <laughs> That's what life was like, a little bit, a taste of what life was like under the Roman Empire. One example of the brutality of Rome. Was its unique invention of a rather novel execution practice? Crucifixion. That's how they kept the peace. If you threatened them or you didn't like or they didn't like what you were saying, if you posed a threat to the empire, it was to the cross with you. This was the political situation that Jesus was born into. The one that he came into, the one that the Father had designated from the fullness of time, as Scripture says. This is the context that shaped the thoughts of the Jews when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day and they hailed him as their king. And make no mistake, church, this is exactly what Jesus was saying, that he was and is the king. That's why he had two of his disciples go and fetch this donkey colt for him do you make of that? There's this doggy at the center of this story. Are we supposed to take anything from that? It may sound strange to us as we cannot imagine any world leader riding around on this type of mount, right? We just can't get our heads around that. But in the Old Testament, uh, King David had received this promise from God. The promise that King David received was that one of David's sons would sit upon his throne and that he would reign from it for eternity on his deathbed david had it arranged so that solomon was anointed king and you know what solomon rode into jerusalem on what a donkey to loud shouts of praise and adoration from the people does it sound familiar more than that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. He was fulfilling words from the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So he tells his disciples, Go into the village in front of you, Where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this The Lord has need of it. So he tells them to fetch this donkey for him that he may ride it into Jerusalem. See, the time for walking from place to place is over. The time for taking boats from place to place is over. Jesus is on a new mode of transportation because it's time to announce in public, out in the open before everyone, who he is and what he came to do. The conditions are just right. Even the route that he took into Jerusalem fulfills other prophecies that I do not have time to get into. But it's why Luke takes great pains to tell you exactly the route that he took But this donkey indicates that he is this long-awaited king. He is the son of David who would reign forever. This Messiah who would come to deliver God's people. The promised one who would come to restore the glory of Israel. And he comes not for war, but for peace. As the donkey symbolized. The donkey is not a mount for war. It's a mount for peace. And how did the people respond? They believe him, but only according to what they expected from this king. They spread out their cloaks in front of him, which was a callback to King Yehu's coronation, in the Second Kings chapter nine. That's what happened. Go check that out. Second Kings chapter nine, and it's recorded in other Gospels that they use. Palm branches, something that became a symbol of Israeli independence. So this was significant as well. This, they believed, is their king and their messiah. This is the one who would put an end to their political and societal problems. He's going to come in and set up shop and kick these Romans out. And so they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They identified him as their king they heralded him as the fulfillment of what was promised in the psalms even he would take the throne of his father david at last he would set israel free from roman occupation he would restore her glory you see jesus showed his id and it seemed that they knew what he was saying but in truth They didn't quite know why he was there. Now Jesus most certainly does come as king and messiah, but not in the way that they or we would expect. He does come to restore the glory to Israel, but he does so by being the true Israel. He does come to give his people freedom, but not political freedom, freedom from sin and death. He does come to establish his kingdom, but it's a kingdom that is not of this world. He does come to take his place upon the throne, but the throne that he has in mind is a cross. If we ask Jesus, may I see some ID? He shows it to us and it says that he is king, Lord and Messiah, the savior of the world, the son of David. And if we ask him, what are you doing here? He says, I'm here to die. This is why he's here. He came into human history at a specific time, in a specific location, that had a specific political climate within a context that had invented a wooden structure on which to torture people to death so that he would give his body over to be nailed to it. In this passage, he shows us that he's here to set us free from our greatest foes. Sin death, the devil, and he comes to do so by bleeding and dying for our transgressions on that Roman cross. For this reason, he was born to die. So what are we doing here? What are we doing here? We are baptized children of God. We are called to faith by the gospel. We are sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We gather in this place to hear the voice of our Savior, the promised Messiah, who has finally and decisively delivered us from our sins. We come together as a confession that the King and His kingdom are truly present in our midst. We come together to proclaim that He will come again to bring us the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting. So how does Advent help us orient ourselves towards what is real and true? Well, it it trains us to lose our appetites for those things of this world. trains us to lose our appetites for the things of this world and set our hope on the King who has come and promises to come again. Advent forms us to live in this present tension of a kingdom that was begun at Christ's death and resurrection given to us in our baptisms, in that kingdom that will be fully realized at his coming. Advent shapes us to be more faithful recipients of his gifts. The gifts of forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation. As Jesus comes to us now in word and sacrament, the same Jesus who rode into Jerusalem is here present with us now through the word, through the sacraments. What do you expect from this world and the things that it offers? What do you expect? Like the Jews who greeted Jesus, are you setting your hope on, a, on the next presidential candidate who will finally usher in a, a regime that's going to fix things? according to your definition of what fixed is? Are you led to believe that if you can just reach a certain stage of your life, whether it's related to uh, to age or financial stability, that you'll finally find peace and rest, a relatively trouble-free existence? Are you banking on certain accomplishments? Are you banking on certain achievements to really bring meaning? significance to your life. Some of these things may very well be good things. They are. But you know what? They'll fail us. They will not deliver what they promise. They're not worthy of our devotion, let alone our hope. They will pass away. There is only one who is Our king who came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey to bleed and die at the hands of sinful men and rise again for their justification. That same king is here now with us. He's present in his word and sacraments. He is here to forgive our sins. He's here to create and strengthen our faith and nourish us unto everlasting life when he comes for us again. That same king Will come for us again. He's coming with glory from on high, with all the saints and the angels. He will raise these bodies from, from the dead. He will set up a new home for us, the new heavens and the new earth. Scriptures call that the new Jerusalem. That is our hope. Advent teaches us where to place our hope. Hope in the Lamb who came and died, the servant who was here to forgive and reconcile, the, the King who will come again. Hope in Him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.